So as I said at the beginning, I think I'm carrying the plague tonight. So I'll see how my voice hangs in there. Um, we'll hope. So I've been working with these lists that are called the Wings of Awakening. And we talked about the foundations of mindfulness many weeks ago. And then we talked last week about the wise use of effort or energy. And tonight I wanted to talk about the next list, which is sometimes called the four bases of power or the basis of success. And it's kind of an interesting list. It's actually one of the little factoids about it is that it's the only list that no Dharma book has been written about in the West. So if you want if you want an opportunity to write the Dharma book that hasn't showed up yet in gateways, this is it. I'm not quite sure what that's about, but so traditionally what this list is about is it's for developing such skills as walking on water or clairvoyance or levitation or the remembrance of past lives or reading the minds of others. Those are some of the things that are on the list. So uh, this is kind of an interesting list. It's probably not why you're here tonight. And um, and actually it's a list, all of those things are things that are considered to be really problematic because if you can do them, if it's possible to do them, you could also, of course, get pretty inflated about it or pretty show-offy about it. Or, so the Buddha always said, if you can do any of those things, you're not supposed to, especially to the monks, you're not supposed to let anybody else see them. But the one thing, that the one item that was also on the list that's hugely important, and I think really the point of the teaching, is that it's about the, the ending of obscurations to the mind. It's really about the kinds, the kind of power and success in your practice that will bring complete clarity to the mind. So that is very interesting, actually. So it's, it's that which can um, create a mind that is clear and wise and compassionate and that will bring an end of suffering. So the four things on this list, the first one, interestingly enough, is desire. And then there's persistence and intent and discrimination or discriminating wisdom. And I think it's an interesting list because it's actually, a, it's, it's, it's like so many of the Buddha's lists, it's very practical. It's a list, you could take this list and take it to work tomorrow and see how it is for being successful in your work. And we all know all of these qualities are helpful in, in doing what we need to do. And each one of them, he suggests, you need to combine with some level of concentration or focus and some level of energy. So you need to be able to concentrate the mind a bit and you need to bring some energy to the practice. 
So it's really important. Um, the thing that I mentioned at the beginning of the set, for those of you who are, who are here, you know, last week we talked about the wise use of effort, about working with um, abandoning or avoiding unskillful states of mind and um, either seeking out or sustaining skillful states of mind. But the other thing about effort is getting it just right. And it's so easy when we decide, okay, that's my goal, you know, enlightenment or bust, that we kind of turn on the energy switch and we go full throttle. And pretty soon, what happens? You know, you're toast. You can't keep going. And so the image that the Buddha gave us around energy was the image of working with a stringed instrument, the lute in his case where the tuning has to be just right. So you all know that. You, we've all watched people who play stringed instruments and they're forever twiddling with the tuning to get it just right. And I often, as I said at the beginning, think about riding a bicycle because you have to pedal harder or slower depending on the slope that you're on. And if you pedal really hard when you're going downhill, it doesn't usually work too well. And if you forget to pedal when you're going uphill, it doesn't work too well. And so you have to keep changing your gears and your speed in order to accommodate the terrain that you're in. And the effort of practice is exactly like that. It's exactly like that. So, so when you come to any sitting even, let alone something like a retreat, you know, if you come on a night when... <coughs> You've, you're a bit sick, maybe, or you've had a really difficult day, you've gotten some bad news, maybe you've heard that someone died or is very ill, or maybe you lost your job, or something like that, and you come to sit, you know, it might be a night to be pretty easy with yourself, and just be happy that you've come to a sitting, and, it, you know, to feel the people in the room, and the little sounds that come and go and and just relax a little and go, oh, isn't this nice? It's quiet. And, and that's about as much effort as you make on a night like that. And if you go to a retreat under the same circumstances, you know, loss and illness and, and worry, often the teacher will say to you, take it easy. Take naps, go for walks, sit in the sunshine, watch the lizards, you know, chill. On the other hand, your day's been pretty good, your life is going along pretty well, you're really working on your practice these days, you come here to sit down, and then you might really crank up the heat a little bit. Here you are, you've got the support of a community, all of whom are sitting, and so you you really bring some of the energy up, and it's like you turn the heat up a little bit, and you sit harder, and, and you pay, you, know, you bring that kind of um, strong effort to your practice to do it in a way that will keep the mind as still as possible. And if you go to a retreat under the same circumstances, you also might turn up the heat and and follow the instructions of the teacher really carefully and and, um, really sit very intensely for whatever amount of time you're on the retreat. So, 
we start, interestingly enough, with desire, which is really fun because desire is one of those words in Buddhist practice that it's sort of like, oh, desire. You mean the Buddha said that desire is okay? And in fact, he did. Because after all, you do want some things, right? You want to wake up, you want to be kinder, you want to be more compassionate. It's fine to want those things. And in fact, it's helpful. So that's that place where you set the goal. You go, okay, you know, this is what I want. Whatever it is that you want, whatever it is that that you're hoping for. And as I was writing some notes about this this afternoon, I was remembering years ago, just as I was starting my practice, I hadn't actually gotten any formal instruction. I'd been sitting on my own for a little while. Me and Suzuki Roshi's Zen mind, beginner's mind, and a cushion and a timer. And um, I went down to the Transpersonal Psych Conference down, that happens every year at Asilomar. And I went early um, because Jack Cornfield was teaching a beginning meditation, day-long kind of thing. I thought this was my chance maybe to get some instructions, and I'd heard some things about him. And that was very helpful, and that's where I really fell in love with practice. But the thing I remembered this afternoon was that the keynote speaker for that weekend was Roger Walsh, who was a wonderful bodhisattva being. He's a psychiatrist. He was also a trapeze artist when he was young in Australia. You know, he's sort of done all kinds of amazing things. <coughs> and Roger has is practiced, he's set more three-month retreats than I think anybody on the planet. And he has this great heart and this great passion for social justice and for the ending of actual suffering in the world. And he stood up in front of the thousand or so people who were there and started talking about all of the suffering that he knew about on the planet that day, all of the wars and how many people were dying of starvation and how many children were diseased and on and on and on, you know, how many kids couldn't get to schools and how many teenagers were suffering with drug addiction and and after a while he began to weep while he talked and his heart was just so open and I was stunned here was this grown man a psychiatrist, I knew lots of psychiatrists, I didn't know any of them who would stand up in front of a crowd and weep over the suffering of people and he wept and I thought I don't know what it is that he has but that's what I want I want to be able to talk about suffering sometimes and weep so that's the kind that's the place where we go okay that's I don't know how I'm going to get there I didn't I had no idea really how I was going to get there or if I would ever get there but I knew that it was something that I wanted and my guess is we could probably have an interesting conversation actually about the kinds of things that have inspired you or made you go, oh, yeah, I want that in terms of your inner, your spiritual life. So that's, that's an obvious place for it. Then you have to consider energy and effort, right? What am I going to do? What kind of work is it going to take? How can I bring some, some focus, some concentration, and some effort to this desire so that it can get underway? 
So then the next thing on the list, I love this one, it's persistence. You know, and I think of persistence, you know. We're so familiar with the energy that starts something, right? Everybody here got projects at home that you've started and that you haven't finished, right? I have a number of them. And so we do that. We get started, but beginning isn't enough. You know, the sweater doesn't get knitted or the, you know, the bank statement doesn't get finished or the taxes don't get done or whatever it is that you've begun and you haven't finished. And we get scattered and we lose sight of it. So we have to, we need persistence. We need this thing that deepens our concentration and keeps us going along. It's, it's that place where we have stamina. You know, we talk about stamina in the exercise world where you can, you know, it's great if you can run for a quarter of a mile, but can you keep going all day? You know, that's stamina. And so it's that stick to or another word that, I heard a whole Dharma talk once years ago about gumption. You know, it was kind of an old-fashioned word, but that place where you just kind of keep pushing at it, keep going. Or, or maybe some of you knew the story when you were kids about the little engine that could. You know, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. The little engine finally makes it up over the top of the mountain. But it, it takes that kind of persistence in order for that to happen. And so in our practice, or any other thing that we're doing, we need that persistence, you know. So coming once to Vipassana Santa Cruz isn't going to turn you into a meditator. You know that. You know, going even probably one retreat won't really turn you into a Buddha, I don't think. I haven't met anybody. So that place where, where we know people who day after day and year <laughs> after year come to retreats, come to their own sitting practice, come to different groups, you know, make, um, really make their lives about practice. That's the place of persistence that the, the Buddha is talking about. So then the next piece is intent, you know. So the intention is that place. I always think of intention as... It's, it's the compass course. You know, many of you have heard me say that. It's, it's where you decide, okay, I'm going north. You know, and then you keep checking in. Am I still doing what I said I was going to do? And so it's different from that desire that starts you at the beginning. You know, that's part, it's connected to it, but it's different. So it's that place where you come back. And, you know, that's that instruction and practice that says... Every time you wander away from the breath, from the body, from being present in this moment, every time you disappear into that thinking, worrying, storytelling, commenting mind that just takes, you know, how incredibly far away you can be in 10 seconds when you sit here on the cushion. And so the instruction is, come back. Come back. Your intention is to be here, to be present. Come back. And so that one instruction, whether you're coming back, you know, the hundred times in an hour, or whether you're coming back to your practice after six weeks because you drifted off, or all of a sudden you wake up and it's three years later and you think, oh yeah, I was going to meditate. I went to those classes. And so then you go, gee, that was helpful. And you come back. 
you know that's the the place that is needed and and so that coming back that the concentration that we build on that coming back place is actually very very powerful it's really important in the development of concentration to just keep steadily persistently coming back and the concentration then becomes quite solid and and malleable and sometimes actually much more accessible becomes easier to find the place of concentration when you've come back over and over and over again (coughs) and then the last thing on the list is discrimination or discriminating wisdom and that's the place where you can actually begin to see the patterns that are in the mind you begin to notice what the nature of your mind is and you begin to understand that um, the mind you know is not um, it's not something concrete it's not you it's not even something you have to believe and and it's something that if you give your attention to it and you notice what's there you can actually meditate more skillfully and you can live more skillfully. So it's very, very important. And so it leads to much more skillful action. It leads to not biting the hook of anger and and reactivity. And um, it's that place where you go, oh, you know, I'm angry. And if you're angry and you're on the cushion, there may be Um, a way, there is a way of being with that on the cushion where you can give it your attention and you can notice that you're angry and you're still here in in the present moment and it's just fine and so you're sustaining your concentration and your effort and your energy and of course if you're out there in the world and you notice that you're angry then you may also then be careful about your actions and your responses to the situation so you do it in a way that's very careful so when we, I actually, yesterday I was driving up to Spirit Rock for a day of meetings and um, I heard, um, uh, what's his name, Ornstein, who's a psychiatrist who's written a number of books on the nature of the mind. And his most recent book is How the Mind Creates a Virtual Reality. And I thought, well, this is interesting. He's sounding very Buddhist these days, you know. And that, that all the psychiatrists and the philosophers are, are, are being more and more Buddhist in their understanding of how it is that we create our sense of reality. And, and he's, he was talking about that way that the mind kind of puts together information and then we think we know what is so. But when you actually bring this discriminating wisdom to your attention to the mind, you see, well, it's a, it's a virtual reality. It may not be any absolute truth you know maybe I need to step back and wait a little and and sort of suss out the situation before I make choices to do certain kinds of of responses so you know you can see that this this list is actually a list of how to be successful in your practice it's also a list of how to be successful in your life so the other thing that happened yesterday, the, the second meeting that I went to in the evening, was something that's never happened at Spirit Rock before, and it was a gathering of women teachers and women leaders in the community. 
So you all know that um, Buddhism, Theravadan Buddhism in this country, comes out of a male, monastic, celibate tradition. So look around the room. We've got some men. This is true. This is great. We'd love to have more. We're happy you're here. I like it, but it's a mix, right? So we're men and women. I would guess that probably not too many of us are celibate. Maybe some of you are. Maybe by because that's how your life is right now. And but it wouldn't be what you would choose. And some of you may be choosing it. And but I don't see anybody here who's a monk, right? And I know, because I also know a number of you, that a number of us are married or in committed relationships of one sort or another. And we have children, and the sexual world is part of our being. And what do we do with all of that in this male monastic tradition? So there we were. There were a number of us who were had been teachers for a while and people who were training to teach and people who assisted retreats in one way or another beginning to say, you know, we have to include the feminine. So after I did all of these notes, I thought, well, it's kind of a masculine talk about how to succeed in your practice, you know? Desire, persistence, you know, all of that is a little kind of linear. And whether you're male or female, that's not always the best way to go about it. So then I thought, well, how would you, if could I take the same set of words and put them in a more feminine way? And then I thought, well, yeah, let's be pregnant. You know, so let's be pregnant for a minute, okay? All of us. This is your chance, guys. You get a chance to be pregnant, maybe just once. And so obviously the desire thing is, is clear, right? At some point, there's some interest in creating another being, even if it happens accidentally. If you decide you're going to keep this baby, you know, okay, there's this baby that's coming. So there's, that's the goal, right? We've got a goal. We're going to have this baby. So some of you have been pregnant and some of you haven't, but any of us who have can tell you the persistence thing, it's right in there. It takes a lot of persistence. And there's a lot of focusing of energy and those of you who have walked with your women through a pregnancy you know you know how much kind of attention and care it takes to shepherd somebody through that process and to really help them through it and all of the ways that you change you know your diet and your sleep patterns and less and that and you go to classes and and so it takes a lot of persistence and a lot of that focus changes right and the and the concentration changes and the intention you know you keep a lot of you change a lot of things in your life because of this it's important and so maybe you don't eat foods that you used to eat or you don't drink things that you used to drink or you exercise in a different way or you begin to exercise because you haven't been exercising or whatever and even if you're the dad there's things that you begin to change because now you're going to be a dad and so that's important and so it changes everything, you know? And, and it's important all the way through it to have that discriminating wisdom. So I think there's a way to work with this list that's about hatching things and growing things. And it might be growing babies and it might be growing gardens or 
you know, there are lots of images that we can use that are softer and gentler and not quite so linear. But any way you cut it, desire and persistence and intention and discrimination are part of it. So I invite you to reflect on that list. And I'm happy that my voice seems to be doing just fine. You know, maybe um, all the good healing energy that's coming my way. So let's see if there's any questions or comments about how you might use this in your own practice. Or reflections. Please. Well, I've been able to observe an interesting thing that you said. Um, Just the interaction of how scientists are looking at uh, kind of these Buddhist philosophies. Uh-huh. And my younger brother's a neuroscience major, and my mom is Buddhist, and, and they share books, and it's great. And it gets the kind of more spiritual, sort of theoretical thing. My brother, he says he's an atheist, but um, it's just, you know, it doesn't go there. But the everything else, the, the construction of reality, the talking of, of how our, our brain works, it's been really fun to watch uh-huh. that and uh-huh. watch the discussions that have come from that relationship. It is very exciting to see that. And, um, you know, the, the Dalai Lama has been out, you know, well, because he's very interested in science. And probably most of you know that. And he got started, he used to do things like taking watches apart and putting them back together when he was a kid in Tibet because he'd never seen anything even like a watch. And now he attends... Mm-hmm conferences and gatherings and actually he's particularly interested in the science of the mind and, and neuroscience and all of the different things and and he's been asked, you know, what if science shows us something that the mind you know, that that is contrary to Buddhism and he said, Well, Buddhism would have to change. <laughs> so, you know, it's, there's there's so it's very interesting this this conversation that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else? Please, Axel. Well, since you bring up the masculine versus feminine, well, this, this list... <laughs> let's not make it oppositional, huh? We need both. <laughs> All right, let's, let's talk about both, because it, it's kind of interesting. The, the, the list makes it sound to me like, yep, let's, here's a shopping cart, and you know, here are the things I need. Let me just add a bit of loving kindness, and uh-huh, a bit of uh-huh. persistence, and a bit of morality, and all these things are uh-huh, things that I like uh-huh. on. But, but, you know, perhaps... There's another way of getting there, which is more about dropping things off rather than adding them. Both. So I think. maybe, maybe you get to the same place by realizing that maybe you're not such an unkind person after all, and that that's just a belief. And you start layering, taking off the layers, and what you find underneath it is that maybe the kindness was there to begin with, and it was just covered up. So to me, that almost sounds like it's that. That's the more poetic, feminine approach to it that doesn't necessarily have to be completely opposed to that more masculine approach because obviously there are times when that approach needs to be very skillful. You know, it's, it, we're, we're creating all kinds of metaphors, right, for probably the same process. Are you dropping things off? Are you growing things in your garden? Are you picking things off the shelf? I don't know. You know, and I know in my own life that sometimes one image works better than another. And it isn't the same from one period of time to another. Mm -hmm. So 
I, I think that's the value of teaching stories and teaching images, is that they, you know, somebody will go, oh, a garden. And it will really resonate. And they'll go home and they'll really think about how they'd like to grow their meditation garden. Someone else will go, oh, dropping things off. What a cool thing he said. And they'll go home and that's what will resonate. And so, I, you know, I think it's helpful to have lots of images for some of them to be more masculine, for some of them to be more feminine. But, you know, the, the coming together of the masculine and the feminine is also another whole thing that is very important. And for most of us, having a balance of those two kinds of energies is what we need. You know, so it was actually one of the things that I ended up saying in that council last night was let's not go overboard and do you know nothing but feminine stuff because that wouldn't actually be useful. Because sometimes we need that kind of what we call masculine and what we call feminine. But even those callings, it's just it's it's a convenient thing. It doesn't have anything to do with your biological equipment, particularly. Ah, we can get me spinning on this one. <laughs> Anyone else? Before we shift. Okay. Then enjoy pondering that. And let me make a few announcements. Um, I'm going to announce first. We desperately are actually needing some volunteers. <coughs> um we need um, someone to help with publicity. Isabel Rosenland, who's been doing it, has said that she will continue, but she'd like to have an assistant. So if some of you, when we were asking for someone to just take it over, if you thought, oh, no, I could never do that, but you'd like to assist and learn a little bit from Isabel, um, that's a possibility. We need someone who can do the roster, and Ann Zweig over here knows about that, so you could talk to her if that was interesting. That's mostly some data entry kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um, we need people to help with opening and closing. That's particularly true on Tuesdays, so I doubt that that's this crowd. And then if, there's, if you would like to volunteer, but you haven't heard anything that quite speaks to you, um, there's a place on the webpage where you can volunteer and then... <laughs> Um, Val Nelson, who sort of coordinates our volunteers, can take your information and find a slot for you. And we would love to have your help. And it really makes a difference in terms of how you connect with us. So just know that that's true. And then in terms of things that are coming up, we must be about at the first Sunday of the month. Is this true? Yes. Sunday is. So um, that's family, the family program is meeting here, I believe, this month. And there's a flyer over there for that. If you like being with kids or if you have kids or you know people who are looking for some place to bring their children um, to, you know, learn a little bit about Buddhism or practice, um, check it out. And then at the end of the month, Marcy is doing a Qigong and Vipassana day-long retreat so there's flyers over there for that. And then the two remaining things that um, are coming up, they're a little farther out, but both, I think, interesting. Some of you might be interested um, in the weekend on relationship as practice that I'm teaching with my husband. And um, there's, I think, one slot left in that for 
um, any kind of a committed couple who would like to come. And so if that's interesting to you, there's flyers over there, and um, talk to me. And there's a couple of people, Bill Coleman in the back. Anybody else here who's been on one of those weekends? I think Bill is the only one. So if you want to find out about it, he can tell you if he can stay awake long enough. And then um, shortly after that is our five-day retreat at Land of Medicine Buddha. And we now have our flyers, and um, it's a... It's for the people in this Sangha primarily. There's a few people who have sat with me a couple of other places, San Luis Obispo, sometimes a couple of people come from it. Um, It's right here in town at Land of Medicine Buddha. It starts the Wednesday before Memorial Day and goes until lunch, through lunchtime on Memorial Day. Um, I'm teaching it along with Bob Stahl and Carla Brennan, and then Marcy is coming to teach Qigong. Um, so there's a flyer one of the things I want to stress is that we have plenty of scholarship money we expect to be getting more so if you want to come and cost is a problem please don't let it keep you from coming there's a way you can sign up if, if, it's a, if there's some confusion around it come and talk to me and we will see what we can do so please know that that's true um, and take a flyer and sign up. You can also sign up I believe on the website or you will be able to soon enough. Okay. Any other announcements? Anything I've missed? Yes, Bill, please. To remind everyone that the Occupy space has been awesome uh, both the center itself and for all the teaching. And it's an opportunity to parse that with uh, two guys just in the hallway. And Marcy was reminding people at Qigong <coughs> there's a pink sheet over there you can take and you can sign up for eScript. So if you're shopping in a number of places in town that do eScript, we get a little tiny bit of every amount you spend. The other um, guilt removing way you can donate is if you're sneaking off to Amazon to buy books instead of going to bookshop. You know, that thing that we do sometimes. If you go to Amazon through the Vipassana Santa Cruz website, they kick in a little bit of their profit to Vipassana Santa Cruz. So it's an easy way to make yourself feel a little better about shopping at Amazon and get us a little money at the same time. So just know that both of those things are true. Anything else? Yes, Bill and then Barry. Yeah, just to get on that, so talking about different things like that. Also on the website, it's a very wonderful Ability to sign up for reoccurring donations. Ah. Uh, so this is very convenient. It does. Barry, please. And uh, <clears throat> myself and my wife have also been with Mary's relationship. So oh, that's right. Thank you. You yes. can ask me questions if you can't find it. <laughs> or if he falls asleep. Well, I might fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> A um, couple of announcements. The basket for the River Street Shelter, I think, is in the library tonight. And they always need donations of warm clothes, blankets, um, hotel and motel soaps and toiletries and things of that nature. And the other announcement is um, my monthly women's group is coming up um, this Monday, March 10th at 7.30 p.m. at my house. Um, it's a, a women's Dharma discussion group, so if you are interested, come to me afterwards. 
Okay, so let's end with just a little bit of loving-kindness practice. So sit quite comfortably. It's very useful to figure out that you can do this practice in any position. So be where you are. Settle back into your body and your breath. And in some simple way, extend a sense of friendliness, of, of kindness, of goodwill to yourself. So there might be, that might be with a phrase, a little wish for your own happiness. May I be happy. May I be um, safe from all danger. May I have ease of being. It might be with an image, or it might simply be breathing friendliness and kindness and compassion through your body. So find a way that works for you. And then let yourself be aware of the people seated around you in the room to your right and your left and in front of you and behind you. And extend your friendliness, your kind energy towards the people around you. Again, it can be with a phrase that you repeat a few times or it can be with an image or again just extending that friendliness out with the breath. Wishing each person here happiness and peace and ease of being. And then let yourself take your awareness outside of this room, first towards people whom you know and love, And if there's anyone whose name you'd like to place in the circle so we can all extend friendliness and kind energy toward them, please do so. Nancy. Amelia. Marjorie. Extending our goodwill to each of these people, may they all be peaceful and may they all have ease of being. And then letting our friendliness, our goodwill go on out to all people, to all of the creatures of the earth and the air and the water, to all beings in every direction, to beings in every realm, beings that are known to us and those that are not. And then last of all, we gather up all of the merit of our practice together this evening. And we offer this merit for the benefit of all of these beings, that all beings may be happy, that all beings may be peaceful, and that all beings everywhere may be free. for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit 
dharmaseed.org slash donate.